Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn in them to our study of the book of Galatians. We are going to be focusing our attention tonight on Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Last time we opened to our study of Galatians, we were reminded that the Apostle Paul loves the word justified. It's a word that he uses over and over again throughout this great little epistle as he goes about with the believers there defending his point that there is no righteousness to be gained through the keeping of of religious ritual, or the keeping of even the Jewish law, the religious law that even God had laid down. There is no ability, no righteousness that can be gained through the keeping of the law of God. Man has no inherent ability within himself. In fact, it is impossible for man in and of himself to gain justification before God through some kind of religious or some kind of secular activity. Why? Because, as Paul says, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things that are written in the law. Chapter 3, verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. Why? Because it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Of course, the Apostle Paul is quoting from the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, which clearly says that very reality. Of course, we understand that God has to do something. If God does not do something to mitigate the reality whereby we are to be perfect, then we are in deep, deep spiritual trouble. Perfection is the required standard, and since no one in their humanity is perfect, and the law clearly proves that, we are all lawbreakers by our very nature, then all people are damned unless God does something to mitigate the reality of the judgment or the curse that is brought upon us by the law. And of course, we all understand that God has done something. He has sent His only begotten and beloved Son into the world to take our place. Or, in the words of the Apostle Paul here in Galatians chapter 3, he says this, beginning in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might become or might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now what you see right there in verses 13 and 14 is justification in action. The the principle of, of being declared righteous before God and the action that was necessary in order to accomplish that reality. Faith in Jesus Christ who is the righteous one. And so we believe God, and God declares us righteous on the basis of what Christ has accomplished. Thereby, in that transaction, that spiritual transaction that God accomplishes on our behalf through His Son, we are united with Christ. And when we thereby are spiritually united with Christ, all that is given to Christ becomes ours. All the spiritual blessings, as we heard this morning in Ephesians chapter 1, that are Christ's, are ours because we are in the Beloved. We are in Christ. And this is the very reality of where Paul goes in his defense of justification by faith alone. 
If you are in Christ, if you are united with Christ by faith in Christ and thereby justified, declared righteous by God because you are in Christ, then you are the heir to all that is Christ's. Notice what chapter 4, verses 1 to 7 says. Paul says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he, that is the son, might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Several months ago, my wife and I went through a a legal process in our own family whereby we established a a trust, a legal document that deals with the things that you own, the stuff that you have accumulated over your time on this earth. Maybe some of you have accomplished that. Within a trust, there are various stipulations that are to be adhered to upon the departure of the people who set that up. So in ours, upon the departure of my wife and I, there are stipulations within that that state exactly how things are to go. It is spelled out very clearly and with the intention in order to protect both what is included in the trust, that which is to go on to the others, and to protect those whom all of those things are to go to. Within that trust, there is a provision made for the children of our children. Not because we think they might get something, because there isn't really anything there for them to get. But legally, in case their parents depart and then they're at an age where they become the trustee of the trust, And it states in there that they cannot have access to any of those things until they are at least 25 years of age. Why do I tell you all of that? Well, because what we have done with our trust is similar to the situation that the Apostle Paul is describing here for us in Galatians chapter 4. He is describing to us what God has done with us as believers through Christ. Now remember that he has been making a distinction. The Apostle Paul with the Galatian believers, he's been making this distinction between living under the law, trying to gain something before God by living under the law, and living by faith. You remember back in chapter 3 and verse 23, he says that the law is like a prison. Right? He says, before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. In other words, the law was, was a prison for us. It was, a, it was a, a walled-in area that we could not escape. It was always there. It was always locking us up. It, we were kept in custody under the law. Or, and verse 24 even says, therefore the law has become our tutor to, to accomplish something with us. So the law was the, the protector. It, it, it protected us in the sense that it kept us in custody. It, it told us what was right and what was wrong. 
And it led us by means of that as a tutor to something better. In other words, it was controlling every aspect of our life until until that moment where we come to Christ. This is what verse 24 says, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. Became our 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 teacher, if you will, our, our director, our master to Christ. Lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. That's what Paul has been talking about with the law. And now Paul alters the comparison just a little bit. And he says, now I say in chapter 4, verse 1, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave although he is owner of everything. What is Paul saying? Well, Paul is saying that if we understand it in this sense, if we lived in the Greek time, if we lived in the time in the Greek civil society and under Greek law, then we would also understand that it was the common practice for those who had wealth those who had some kind of means to give over to their children, who was to be the heir of of what they had, they would give over that child to guardians. Normally, that was the eldest son. He was the one, typically, according to that kind of law, who would be the heir of the family's assets. And so, during the adolescent years of the oldest son, he may have known that he would inherit all of his father's assets, all of his father's wealth, but he did not yet own it. He didn't own it. This verse says that he is the owner of everything, right? As long as the heir, the word heir there simply means he's he's the one who has the rightful a place in which he will receive. As long as the heir is a child, he doesn't differ from a slave, even though he's the owner of everything. Now, Paul does not mean there that he actually owns it in the sense that he has possession of it, in the sense that he has even control over it. In other words, he's not saying that all of the assets now are under his control, under the ownership of himself, and no longer under the ownership of his father who was still around. He means that as part of legality, as part of who he is by a legal declaration, he is named as the rightful future owner, even though he doesn't possess it yet. In other words, his father still has the title rights, to all of it right now, legally, his father is the title right owner, and yet the boy is an owner as heir, even though he doesn't have the privilege to possession. So there's a, there's a sense in which Paul is saying, this is what's happening with us in the economy of God by way of salvation. Paul is saying, for all intents and purposes, the son has about as much liberty when he's a child, when he's, even though he's the heir of all things, he has about as much liberty as a common slave. Paul says as long as he's the heir as a child, as long as he's a padia, a small child, he doesn't differ at all from a slave. Doesn't mean he's a slave. Doesn't mean that's what he is in the eyes of the Father, but what it does mean is that his actions and the way he deals and interacts with the inheritance is like a slave. He has no property rights. He has no legal say in anything and how it's handled. Just to use the example that I gave about myself, my sons are the heirs, my son and my, my sons and my daughter are the heirs of all that we have, as little as that is, and while they're the legal heirs by way of the paperwork, they have no legal ownership rights to anything of it by means of now, because we are still around, even though we have declared it. The father, i.e. myself, has control. And so Paul says here, he has no legal property rights. He has no legal say in anything in how it is handled. In fact, 
It even says he is kept under a guardian. His guardian keeps him under discipline, verse 2. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. Paul, what what are you saying here? What do you mean when he says that? Uh, I, I mean that he was told what to do and how to do it. That's what Paul's saying. There was a time when, when, like a slave, we're told what to do, how to do it, when to do it, how far to go, all of those things. The Greek environment, he was told when to get up. He was told when he should go to school. He was told when he should come home. He was told what to wear. He was told how to act. In fact, he would have been even given another trustee who would manage his property if his father died before he came of age to possess it. So there would have been even somebody else who would have helped him, a manager, a guardian to direct him, a manager, until the date set by the father. So under that system of law, according to the parameters set within the trust, as a young person, he felt more like a slave than a son. This is what Paul says the law does to us. This is what the law is. This is how God uses the law in those whom are his heirs before they are saved. We feel more like a slave than a son, but it was all for the son's own good, Paul said. It's all for his good. What seemed to be like bondage for him was in fact to bring him to the age in his life when he was mature enough, the date set by the father to receive his inheritance. So it was all there for a purpose. It was there to ensure that he would gain access to the inheritance as it was set forth by the father at the time that he was ready to receive it. Why is Paul saying all this? Because that is how the law works when it comes to salvation. Notice verse 3. So also we. So Paul gives us this example, this illustration in the first two verses. Here's the illustration of a son who's the heir, yet he's not old enough to receive it. He's been given guardians and masters who are over him until the time set by the Father. So also we. While we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. This is Paul's point. He says, there was a time when we were enslaved. Remember, he's writing to these Galatian believers who were being told, you must go back to the law. Jesus is good, but Jesus isn't enough. Jesus is not sufficient for you to have the, the inheritance of God. You need to do something yourself. In fact, you need to be, as we've learned in chapter 1, circumcised. You need to follow the law. Paul says, listen, we, while we were children, we were like that, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. In other words, Paul is saying there was a time when we were enslaved, we were already, get this, already heirs by legal process. Let me say that again. In the economy of God, as the Father who designed the legal document that we are heirs of receiving all that He included in that legal document, a la Ephesians chapter 1, and all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, We are legally heirs by legal process, but not by legal declaration. Let me go back to my illustration with my wife and I. My children are heirs by way of legal process, but not yet by legal declaration. That doesn't happen until... The date set or the demise of us. Then it takes effect. In other words, for all of us who are saved, 
It was already, get this, get this in your mind, for all of us who know Jesus Christ by faith, before the foundation of the world, God accomplished this. It was already in the plan of God that we would be His Son and heir. You understand that? We were chosen before the foundation of the world. Before God set forth and said, let there be light and created the world, before all of that in the heart and mind of God, we were chosen before the foundation of the world and in the mind and heart of God, our names were written in the Lamb's book of life. We were made by means of the legal process in spiritual sense, heirs. God chose us in Christ before the world was created. Therefore, therefore it was already determined that we would be the heirs with Christ even though we had not yet entered into that reality. We had not become ready to receive it yet. We were still held in bondage Verse 3, under the elemental things of the world. That's what Paul's saying. So also we. Just like my illustration, so also we. While we were children, we were held in bondage. What does Paul mean by elemental things here? Well, for the Jew, it would have been the written law the law of Moses, the the codified law of God that we have in the Old Testament, the moral code that the Jew was to live by, all that God had commanded, and then therefore all that the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious rulers of the day, had added to it in order to make it more palatable and more able for them to try to keep it. The Jew was under that. They were a slave to that law. What if you weren't a Jew? If you were a Gentile? That's no different. You would have had an enslavement to your conscience. The, The law written upon your heart, as Romans tells us. So... Think about this here, as Paul is, is, is telling us these things, a person who has never come to faith in Jesus Christ, who has not yet entered into the reality, if they are one of God's chosen to be saved by God, they've never entered into the inheritance in Christ, they are enslaved either to a system of religious law, i.e. the law of God as it's written down. They're trying to keep some rules to try to gain something. That which they cannot live up to, they cannot do it to perfection. It's impossible. They're enslaved to that code of law, or they are enslaved to the code of law, which is their conscience, which God has placed upon their heart. And both of those are damning situations. Both of those are impossible to overcome. So to be a Jew or a Gentile, it really didn't matter. Every person who has ever lived, is under the prison and slavery of the law. Elemental things, the bondage that is there. Man is enslaved. So I believe that the Apostle Paul is being somewhat here sarcastic even in his words as he really sticks his proverbial theological finger in the eyes of the Judaizers who were tempting these Galatian believers to go back to the law because they're telling the Galatian believers that they needed more than Jesus. You don't need just Jesus. You need to have the law also. You need to follow these rules. And Paul is saying, listen, if you go back to the law, if you go backwards, it's like going back to grade school. It's like being having a PhD and going back to grade school to study grade school stuff again. That's foolishness. So what brings us out of that slavery 
to be sons. What brings us out of that? None other than faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, we are under the law until we come to Christ. We are under the law until we come to Christ. Remember verse 24 of chapter 3? The law has become our tutor to Christ. To Christ, so that we might be justified by faith. We are under the law until we come to Christ. Notice verses 4 and 5 of chapter 4. Paul says, this is what we are like, verse 3, so we also, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things, where we're not saved in, in time yet. We are chosen by God before the foundation of the world, but we're not saved in time yet. That is coming. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, there are several truths that Paul lays out in just those two verses that I want to highlight for us as we, as we look at these verses. Two, several essential truths here that we, we have to have in our minds, right? The first is this, the timing, the perfectly orchestrated time. Apostle Paul says, but when the fullness of the time came. Under the law, like I said, there was a date set for the child in the trust for that child to become the rightful possessor. To be the the heir by not just simply the law of written down, but by practice. It was fixed by the Father. That time was fixed by the Father. Do you realize that? The very fact that God chose us before the foundation of the world, God also chose the very moment that we would express faith in Christ. In the same way that God chose the very time, the very moment in the history of the world, in the history and progress of the creation as God carried out time where He would send forth His Son, born of a woman and born under the law. This is the perfectly orchestrated time. God the Father determined the exact time that Christ would come in order that we might gain His inheritance. fact, notice what Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for us. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. This is Jesus. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus Christ saying to them, listen, the time is here. The time is now. God appointed a time, I've come, I'm here, the time is now, repent and believe. That is simply to say that Jesus came at the exact place, at the exact time in human history that God the Father had set before all time began so that we would believe. The world was at the stage set for the reception of Jesus Christ and His coming. It was all at the right time that Christ came in order to make us the children of God. Notice, secondly, the source. The source. It was at the right time that He came, God sent forth His Son, verse 4. This is is Paul's point. Listen, but when the fullness of time, that's God's determination in order to bring it about at the exact moment in which God had determined from eternity past, and God sent forth His Son. 
the market, God not only did he declare the time that Christ would come, but God is the one who sent the source who is Christ himself. God is the one who sent forth the one in which we have our security. It also tells us that Christ is deity. Christ is God. Christ came from God. He sent forth His Son. He existed before all time. In the wisdom of the Godhead, as God was declaring His redemptive plan before He created anything in the history of the Godhead, Christ was there. Fully equal with the Father. Fully equal with the Spirit. Co-equal in eternity past. And so in the fullness of time, God sends His Son. How? Verse 4, born of a woman. Born of a woman. God sent forth His Son. That's His deity. Born of a woman. That's His humanity. Fully God, yet fully human. Not only is Christ eternal, He is fully Human. Not only is Christ eternal deity, Christ is fully human in every way. Jesus had an ordinary birth. I did not say an ordinary conception. Jesus had an ordinary human birth. And so right here, right here in the words of Paul is the incarnation. Election before time, planned out redemption before time, and in the right time, God sends His Son, the deity of God Himself, incarnate, comes into the world, fully human. God becomes man. Why? So that God could be our Savior. So it's God who sets the time. It's God who sends the Son. The Son is born a man And fourth, He is born under the law. He is born under the law. That means He is born a Jew. Born a Jew. Therefore, according to His birth, He was required to keep the law. Remember, in our study of the Gospel of Luke, when you reached the age of 13, you became a son of the law. You were fully now required to keep the law in every way. And Jesus did so without fail. Never violated any of the law of God in thought. Never violated any of the law of God in word. Never violated any of the law of God in deed. That's why Hebrews 4, chapter 15 can say that Jesus Christ is a, is a compassionate high priest, one who understands our ways, because He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin was... In practice, there was no sin. In thought, there was no sin. Indeed, there was no sin. Tempted in every way, just like we are, at the same height, in the same way, and yet He did not sin. Kept the law. He went to the feasts. He was baptized. Circumcised on the eighth day celebrated the Passover. He did everything the law required of him as a Jew, and he did it perfectly, without error, without flaw, under the law. He knew no sin, and yet he died under the law. Paul has already said to us, Christ became a curse for us. So, When Christ came under the law, He also came under its curse. He came under its curse, bound by the reality of its curse. He knew in a personal way exactly what it said in Deuteronomy. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He knew that. Why then did Christ come? Why then did Christ come? 
verse 5 tells us, He came to redeem. He came, sent from God, at the time God had decided, born in humanity, born under the law as a Jew. Why? In order that, this is the purpose, in order that He might redeem. In order that He might redeem. That, beloved, is atonement language. That is atonement language. In order that he might pay the price. This is what Christ provided for us on the cross. Atonement. Just go back to chapter 1. Verse 4. Verse 3 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that He might deliver us out of this present age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. This is why Christ came. Redemption. Accomplishment of the atoning sacrifice that was necessary for you and I to be saved. For you and I to, to be a part of being heirs with God that God had declared before He ever created anything. That is to say that although we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, Jesus was sent and He paid the price for our freedom through His death on the cross. He paid the ultimate price under the full wrath of God the Father. So when God sent His Son, He sent Him to die. He sent Him to ratify the trust deed. Sent Him to accomplish what was necessary within the trust deed in order for us to be His Son. He paid the ultimate price of the full wrath of God. Therefore, we understand that we are not saved simply because we simply because of something we've done or even simply because Christ came. We're not saved simply because Christ came. We are saved because Christ came and died. In other words, without Christ's birth and His death, You have no salvation. Christ had to come and Christ had to die. And it was all according to the plan that God had put in place so that we would be sons. Sons according to His declaration before the world ever began. Christ redeemed us from the law. What law? The law of sin and death. That's what the law brought. If you didn't bring it perfectly, you were under the curse. You were to die. He came, Paul says, at the perfect time as the God-man sent from the Father, living without sin, and redeemed all those whom God saves. John Stott said it this way, and I think it's helpful for us to hear it. He said, quote, So the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, and the righteousness of Christ uniquely qualified Him to be man's Redeemer. If He had not been man, He could not have redeemed men. If He had not been a righteous man, He could not have redeemed unrighteous men. And if He had not been God's Son, He could not have redeemed men for God or made them the sons of God. Unquote. Exactly right. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is driving towards here. And so he gives us a sixth truth here. Here's the purpose. Here's the sixth truth. Notice verse 5. 
in order that we might redeem those who are under the law, so that, this is the purpose, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. So Christ's coming had a goal. And it had as its goal our adoption as sons. When I say our adoption, we are not speaking about some kind of universal salvation. We are not saying the universality of all men in the world who might come to the place where they have these nice thoughts about God and even say they believe in Jesus. No. What we are talking about here is only those who are saved, which is only those whom God has set apart from the foundation of the world. Only those whom God has included in the trust deed of his inheritance so that at the right time we can take ownership of it through Christ. That's who he's talking about. When he says the we there, he's talking to the Galatian believers, the true believers, and himself along with all other believers who have ever believed throughout time. This is Christ's goal. God sent Christ so that God could make us his sons and his daughters. Christ is the ratifying reality. So Christ accomplished not only our redemption, but he accomplished our adoption as well. It would have been great to simply not be a slave anymore, wouldn't it? be great to think about life and go, okay, this is nice. I'm not a slave anymore. I'm not a slave to sin. I I think that's wonderful. It's a great reality to be free from the bondage of sin. All of us go, man, we can't wait to get to glory where we'll really be totally, completely, and absolutely free from the bondage of sin. And yet, the reality is, by God's grace, that we are freed from the bondage of sin. We have the power to overcome sin. We have the Spirit of Christ living in us. We can do what God has asked us to do. The reason that we have any idea with the bondage of sin is because we so easily do not follow what God has asked us to do. Same reason that Adam and Eve knew evil. They knew evil because they did evil. It's the same with us. But God did more than just free us from the bondage of sin. God made us his children. God made us his children. And isn't that why the Apostle Paul says what he says in verse 7? Notice really both verse 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are heir through God. Again, referencing the choice of God and referencing who Christ is. In Christ, beloved, we are sons of God. We are children of God. And because we are children of God, we have been given the Spirit of God into our hearts. And we know we have been given the Spirit of God, and we know we are children of God because we cry out to Him as children. Abba, Father, He says. We cry out like a child cries out to the Father. What saddens me sometimes as a pastor, what saddens me sometimes even in my own Christian life, is that after faith in Christ... And I see Christians like this. After we come to Christ in faith, we still think of ourselves as slaves rather than sons. Just like the Galatians, we believe we need to do something else to be justified. That I I have to perform, I have to get on my bandwagon, I have to do something more because, because I'm still trying, I'm striving to get into the kingdom of God when I'm already a son. That grieves the Father's heart. We do that, what are we doing? We're testing the love of God. We're testing. Wondering if God really does love us. God desires for us to receive and rest in His love. God desires for us to just rest there as sons. 
And because of that, He sent His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts. He desires that we know who we are. He desires that we realize we are His children. We are the adopted children of God, that we are His beloved children as much as we are beloved. As He beloves Christ, He beloves us. And so He sends His Spirit to dwell in us. And with that Spirit comes an assurance, doesn't it? An assurance that we are His, assurance that we are the children of God. He doesn't give His Spirit to those who are not His. So we cry to Him, Abba, Father. You know what that is? That's just a term of endearment, a term of respect, a term of honor. It's like we do sometimes even in our own humanity and we write a nice note to our dad and say, Dear Dad. That's what it's like. This is God. He is our Father. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. He said, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Who's the spirit of adoption? The spirit of Christ. It's the spirit of Christ. We have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We go to God because he is our father. Not in order that we might try to gain some kind of entrance with the Father. We are with the Father in Christ. And so this is the Spirit's cry through us. This is what the Spirit cries. Why? Because we are the children of God. This is what the Apostle Paul has been saying all along to the Galatian believers. You need nothing else. All you need is Christ. Christ is enough. Christ has has taken you out of the slave market. Christ has made you a son. You are in the family of God. You are an heir of God. Through Christ, we receive the same inheritance that He receives. So how, how... do we know that we share in the eternal inheritance of God? How do we know we share in His eternal estate? How do we know that? It's not by, not by our own efforts of trying to work to get into the family of God. It's not by that. We'll, we'll never, never have any assurance in that kind of way. No, we have assurance because our adoption is based entirely on the redemption accomplished by the Son of God. We have assurance of our, of our inheritance in God because it's through God, as Paul says in, chapter, in verse 7. You're no longer a slave. You're a son now. And since you're a son, or because you're a son, if a son, if that's what you are by faith in Christ, and if you have faith in Christ, that's what you are. You're a son. Then you're an heir, and it's through God. It wasn't through you. Our adoption is fully accomplished in Christ. And God's Spirit confirms it by enabling us to call Him Father. You realize this? Servants can only call God Master. Servants can only call God Master, but we call Him what? Father. He is our Father. He is our Father. He's not our Master. He's our Father. We're not slaves. We're sons. All because of what Christ did. And so Paul says, listen, Galatians. Listen, you who are tempted to go back to the law, what foolishness that would be. That would be like taking the legal documents that your name is written in and throwing them aside and going back and saying, don't don't execute those documents even upon the time frame that was legally drawn up. 
Guess what? It will never happen like that. Why? Because you have no say in the document. You have no say in what God chose to accomplish on your behalf because of Christ. You have no say in that. It is God who has accomplished it. It is God who made it happen. It is God who has declared it. And you cannot do anything to edit that. You cannot do anything to try to get into it. You need nothing else. It is all in Christ. So we call Him Father. Paul's going to go a bit further in this, beginning in verse 8. And in the end, he will say, listen, if you live like that, if you live according to days and weeks and months and observe these things and hoping that you will gain something, he says, I wonder if maybe all the laboring I've done with you in teaching you the truth about where salvation lies is really true in you. Maybe I've labored over you in vain. We'll get to that next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I trust the night that these things are not confusing to us. I trust that by Your grace, according to Your mercy, Your Spirit opens our eyes and our hearts and our minds to understand these things, that we would see them clearly. That the thoughts of the flesh, the way in which maybe our thinking has been confused in the past would be cleared up, that we would trust you in what you say, recognize that it was from you that in Christ we are secure. Thank you for declaring to us the reality of what you accomplished in eternity past. Then moving through time so that it would happen in time so that we would know our adoption. Thank you for taking care of every detail before you created, after you created, and even into the future of all eternity. You have taken care of every detail and we are secure in Christ. Thank you for that hope. May that be on our minds and hearts each day because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.